I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue the KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We'll be taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500, starting the morning with just a beautiful sunrise, Tom. Almost looked like a sunset today, and it's kind of gone away now, but beautiful red and orange colors, just gorgeous. Yeah, the morning. last few days, there's been some really gorgeous uh, sunsets, or sunrises and sunsets, so... Keep it up, Mother Nature. Beautiful time of year. And it's, you know, it's going to be a beautiful day to get outside if you still have some cleanup to do. It is. It's, I think we're supposed to be getting rain and snow next week. And with a gorgeous weather today, and I think even Monday, Sunday, Monday are supposed to be good. It's time to get things done unless you enjoy working in the snow. A couple of weeks ago, I was wandering through my neighbor's backyard. She's a master gardener. Her backyard's like a fairyland. Mine has devastated oak trees. Hers is just like this beautiful fairyland. And I saw this beautiful, interesting paper bark maple. So I asked you this morning to make that the plant of the week because what an interesting tree for those people who may not be familiar with it. Paper bark maples have been available for a long time from nurseries, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those trees that unless you are into plants quite a bit, you probably have never heard of them because they are slower growing and because of that can be a little more expensive, but they look somewhat akin like a cousin to maybe a Japanese maple Mm -hmm. with their look, but they get bigger and they tolerate our soils better. They tolerate the sunlight and they 
get the name from having a very papery bark, similar to a birch, that will peel off the tree. It actually curls. It does. And so it looks like a curled paper roll, of course, bark, um, on the tree. So it's one of those uh, trees you would plant to have some sort of unique entry. It's like a piece of artwork, right? It you is. put it in a particular place for people to have it be sort of a conversation piece. It is. And it's a tree that you will plant, and it will take anywhere from five to ten years for it to really start to get a canopy enough for you to enjoy some shade. But for these trees to come into their own, they are an investment in the future because they are a little bit slower. But, you know, the added benefit to this tree, besides having kind of that Japanese maple feel, is that they have a really nice orange to red fall color. And so you get the added benefit in the fall of having one of those few trees that tolerate our soil well that has really nice fall color. And it's usually a little later. You know, if a lot of the trees start to turn in mid-October, this one will be a little later in the season. But it's a gorgeous fall-colored tree also. Yeah, the one that I saw was really well-established, so it had a big enough trunk that you could actually enjoy how the paper kind of curls on the trunk. How tall do these trees get? 20 to 25 feet. Okay, so not super. No, they can be used in a front uh, yard over a porch or a patio uh, as a little bit of a conversation piece somewhere that it is going to be seen by others. They're meant to, in the landscape, be, like you said, a focal point or a piece of art that you would enjoy. And so it's always planted somewhere it can be seen. Okay, so what about the conditions that it needs to be planted in? A one that I saw was probably on the west side of their home, but it had a lot of shady conditions too. It tolerates sun just fine. Okay. They actually will color up a little better if they have six or seven hours of sunlight a day. They seem to be fairly pest resistant if they're overwatered. So if they're you know waterlogged all the time, they can get verticillium or maybe some other root diseases that maples are susceptible to. But it's going to be far more disease-resistant and durable than, say, a Japanese maple. What do they need as far as water goes? Average amount of water. They're going to be moderately drought-tolerant. So once established, deep water, you know, 18 inches deep in the soil every, you know, 10 days or so. If it's being watered by lawn sprinklers, you may want to deep water it monthly just to drive water a little more deeply into the soil. But it's, you know, you will pay, you know, anywhere from 150 to and up for the tree because it is slower growing. But it's one of those, if you know you're kind of in your house you're going to be staying in through retirement or going to be staying in a home for years, this is one you invest in because it's just such a nice tree that doesn't get out of control and just isn't susceptible to a lot of pests or diseases. Any special soil conditions? As long as the soil's not salty. So we always have this caution about many of the plants we talk about, but, you know, if you live in West Weber County around the Great Salt Lake, you know, within a few miles of it, or, you know, some of the lower areas of Utah Valley through Lakeshore into, say, the Goshen Valley, you know, where you have slightly salt, elevated salt levels in the soil, it may struggle in those a bit, but otherwise it will do fine. All right. And Carlos has put an article up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. So is there a picture included so they can see what it looks There like? should be. There's okay. pictures in the fact sheet okay. that they can look at, but it should be searchable on 
whatever libraries we're using for stock photos. But we should give Carlos a shout out for coming in on a normal day off to help us with our show. Our producer has moved on to other things with schooling and so we're looking for a new one, and Carlos is filling in. Very so thank you to him. Thank you to Carlos. Okay, the number for you to call. Paul and Alan are already waiting on the phone line. The number to call, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you. Uh, we didn't mention Dave. He's a little irked with us. Dave Meekum is our technical producer today. Yes. We told you Carlos is our producer and Michelle is in training. And now I think we've got it all. Dave's in on his day off, too. <laughs> so, I mean, he's just kind of part of the furniture. And he came in to rub it in that snow's closed and Christmas is coming and it's going to be cold. 50 some odd days. Ooh. And... So you get a kind of thank you. And if you're just tuning in, someone has asked me, stop it. Someone has asked me the name of the tree that we were talking about as our plan of the weekend. Again, that is Paper Bark Maple. Right to our phone lines. Paul has been waiting. He's in Sandy. Good morning, Paul. What is your question? Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. I have two questions. Um, Probably the easiest one first. I'm starting to get grasshoppers in my yard, and I'm wondering what I should apply to get rid of them and when I should apply it. Normally, there's a bait you can use that uses a, a fungi that the grasshoppers are susceptible to that causes them to stop feeding and die. And what you would want to do is in the spring, as soon as you start seeing them, is have that bait out that they can eat and then if they even if they don't die, they won't lay any more eggs. And so that's called NOLO bait, N-O-L-O. This year it wasn't available, and I'm hoping it was just due to COVID and shipping and everything that's gone along with that. But that is one that you're not applying any pesticides, and they're just getting sick and dying from this uh, uh uh, fungi that's not harmful to humans or animals or pets. So the okay. other thing, if that's not available, what you would have to do, there's a few different ways you could look at it. Is you could try, plant, if you see that the grasshoppers like certain vegetables better, plant some of those extra that you can use as a trap crop, and then you would spray them so that the grasshoppers eat the treated uh, vegetables or plants or whatever they are, and you're not spraying everywhere in your yard. So that would be plan B. And then plan C 
would be to spray the perimeter of your yard where they're hopping in. You may have an established population, but if you can't find the nolo bait, you're probably going to need to turn to some sort of spraying. Now, are you're in Sandy. Are you up on the bench to where you will get grasshoppers coming in from wildland areas? Uh, no. Okay. So you could meet with some of your neighbors and maybe go in and uh, if you had the surrounding neighbors put out nolo bait, that would... Uh, to help you greatly because the grasshoppers are so mobile that they would hop in from the neighbor's yard. And if you have the neighbor street too, then that's just going to reduce the overall population. Okay. My, my other question is I have Oregon grape, Rependent Oregon grape. I planted them about 35 years ago and I had a cluster of them, probably about six of them. And over time, they've thinned out, and now I have very little Oregon grape uh, population there. Uh, Is there a disease that is attacking these? Not Wasatch Front wide. I suspect that they've probably succumbed to Phytophthora or not. You know, some of these other root diseases. Verticillium is another one, and because they're interconnected through their roots that they just kind of spread throughout. And so all I would really know to do is to remove them and try a different ground cover. If, if, if it is a shaded area, there's a number of different ground covers that would do well. Okay. Thank you very much. Paul, thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton says they have seen some businesses loosen soil around trees this fall. Is that beneficial? Well, it depends on how you do it. If you have trees in an area that receives a lot of foot traffic, aeration is important. We, you know, we always talk about the importance of aeration for lawns. Aeration for trees in those same area is also critical because it allows more oxygen into the soil and it helps water penetrate better. And so there are techniques. I know that the Utah County government building has a historic elm that's a unique specimen. It's a weeping American elm, the only one probably in the nation. And it's been recommended that they actually use special equipment and have an arborist come in and use a machine with high pressure air that penetrates a couple of feet in the soil to basically use air pressure to shatter the soil a little bit, to loosen it, to help oxygen penetration and things of that nature, because it is in an area that receives a lot of foot traffic. And so it can be beneficial. We don't talk about it as much, but if you have trees planted in really heavy trafficked areas that are in clay soil, especially aeration is just as critical for them, or it can be as it is your lawn. I was noticing uh, today outside on the park strip here outside of the Triad Center that around the trees, they have now made these perfect circles, which I don't think were there before, where there is no no lawn anymore. No, that will help keep the mowers away. One of the biggest problems we have with trees in the landscape, we call mechanical blight or lawnmower blight. And that's when you get you know, somebody mowing and they keep scraping against the bark of the tree or using a string trimmer. And so those rings around the tree, you know, for a tree that big, their roots are everywhere. But for a small tree, that will allow for oxygen penetration into the root area. But for larger trees, it keeps 
enough space so that when you have mowing crews come in, that the trees are not damaged. Looks pretty nice, too, it the does. way they've done it. Uh, Alan is in Taylorsville. Good morning, Alan. What is your question this morning? Good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Um, I, two quick questions. The first is about cantaloupe. Um, how do I get them to ripen? I only had two of my cantaloupe ripen this year, a whole bunch of green ones, um, and I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. Nice big cantaloupes, they just didn't ripen. And the second question is about the the grasshoppers. Would diatomaceous earth do anything to them? Not really. I mean, it'll irritate them, but the nolo bait would do, something ingested would do a much better job. And so, and then grasshoppers are so widespread, you would need hundreds of dollars in diatomaceous earth to really be able to do much. And so I would rather see the use of nolobate or even other reduced risk uh, insecticides because the diatomaceous earth just wouldn't probably do it. Okay. But back to the cantaloupe. So the cantaloupe, Um, there could be a couple things going on. What variety did you grow? I don't know. I just I just went over to uh, oh, where did I get them? Um, You're like me. You just went um, to the store. You bought some seeds and you planted them, right? <laughs> well, I, no, I got you the, bought them I by the, the plants, plants, right? I, oh, right. yeah. Um, you could have gotten a variety that is a long season variety that may have been grown in like Arizona or California that won't ripen here. The other thing that could have happened is that the extreme heat we had prevented them from pollinating correctly. And then they, so you have fruit laid on there and then we were above a hundred for much of July. And then again in September, that would slow their ripening. And so that could have happened. What I would recommend doing is finding short season cantaloupe that will ripen in 90 days, 85 to 90 days. So you can find those online or at the garden center. And what you could maybe do is just write down several kinds that are short season. And if you want to buy the plants, but you may need to buy the seeds. Okay. But Um, what does he do now? Nothing. They won't ripen. Unfortunately. Can't cover them. No. I mean, you, it would cost you as much to build something as it would to take a weekend trip to California and just buy some. (laughs) So. Yeah. And they've already frozen. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right now, unfortunately they're pretty much compost. So. Right. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, So short, I didn't do anything wrong then. No, no, you can, you have years that you do everything right everything that you should and things just still don't work out and that's just gardening. And so I would just focus on some varieties that, you know, or when you go to the garden center, check the tags so that, you know, they're like an 85 or 90 day variety, because if you plant those in mid May, the varieties we grow here should be at their peak at labor day. Yeah. I got these at the greenhouse. That's down South. Oh, but, 14th South or 14th West. Yeah, I, it's it's probably less important because a lot of times those are shipped in and, you know, and so it's just, it's just one of those things that you need to check the tags and make sure that it isn't something that isn't for some reason not suited. And I bet it was, and it was just the heat that did weird things to it. Okay. Well, thank you for your assistance. And, yeah. uh <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can do better next year. Great. 
It's always an experiment. Thanks, Thanks Alan, for uh-huh. your call this morning. Uh, next listener says they have they had a Russian olive tree that they cut down about six months ago, Tan. And now at the base of the trunk, there's some sort of orange fungus that seems to be growing. Uh, is that something they need to be concerned about or to remove so that it doesn't affect their other plants in the flower bed? It's probably just feeding on the roots of the Russian olive. And I wouldn't worry much about it. I mean, I would be more concerned that if they didn't treat the stump with concentrated Roundup or something that in the spring they're going to have suckers coming up everywhere. And okay, so, so that fungus isn't going to permeate their flower. No, bed. it's I mean, there's not really any fungus I'm familiar with with an orange ooze that it'll produce spores that will spread to the soil, but most of the time those fungi are (laughs) opportunistic Mm -hmm. and they will get into just wherever they can. And most of the time trees can just fight them off, but it just could be there that it's decomposing the stump too. All right. Number to call with your question. Yep. As we go to break, we should ponder this in San Diego looking at Google when there's no snow at Christmas. So take that, Dave. Okay, Dave. Sorry, Dave. That's what happens when you make such an issue about Google. Yes. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.